Decoding Learning Differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle, and this episode is Swim the Lake with Deb Kanja. Enjoy this episode. I'm going to let Deb introduce herself, and there's a lot of great stuff in here, so enjoy. Hello, Deb. Welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, it has always been a pleasure talking to you. I enjoy all of our conversations and I wanted to share some of your wisdom with the world. You've done kind of a lot in your life. Can you give a brief overview for everyone of some of the hats that you've worn and the impacts? Well, you can say the hats you've worn. We will figure out some of that impact, I guess. Oh, uh, let's see. Okay. So with respect to the area that you um, are specializing in, I am a lawyer. And although my practice was not in special ed law, in fact, I regulated, my job was to regulate banks and insurance companies, payday lenders, anything to do with finances. And I did that for the state of Michigan. But um, I also was the executive director of Michigan's Parent Training and Information Center, PTI, which is funded by the federal government to help train parents of kids in special ed or with special needs. And then I also founded a nonprofit called Bridges for Kids, which is a big information portal on the web that has information for parents about special ed, special needs, um, and special needs can include gifted, um, any kid who has a struggle, you know, we, we tried to include a lot of information there. So, um, so yeah, a couple of, of hats. And then of course, you know, we wanted to talk about the book, but that also has to do with, with kids. Um, and, and what we discovered was the key to, uh, raising successful kids. And in this case, in this focus on the book, it's with boys. Yeah, so the book is Swim the Lake Before You Row the Boat, which I love. And we're going to get into that um, title in a minute. It also, and part of that, it includes the Flying Eagle formula. So I want to talk about that too. But first, let's talk about what drove you and your mom to write the book. Well, you know, the the I have to get the book out because the subtitle is a little bit long, but the subtitle is Awaken a boy's success mindset, unleash his confidence, and give him the foundation for a great life. And that all came about um, from the 27 years that my parents ran, owned, and operated a very, very successful boys camp. And what was so interesting about that experience is the impact that it had on the boys and how, when they grew up to be men, how they were very, very successful. I mean, there were thousands of boys who went through this camp, summer camp, just summer camp program. And yet when they went on and became very successful men, they credited a lot of their success to what they learned as boys at the camp. And uh, many, many years later, they were still engaged with us. I mean, I went to summer camp and it was fun but it wasn't a transformative experience for me. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I never felt connected to those camps, you know, afterward, but yet we had this entire community of boys, now men who still felt connected to the camp, to the camp experience. And um, the question was why? And when we started deconstructing, going back and, and looking at, okay, what was special about that? We uncovered what we are calling the flying eagle formula, the formula 
that made the difference, that created what we're calling a success mindset in those boys and then went on to to bring them success. I love that. And, yeah, and you know, I want to say that the impetus for writing the book, my mom started writing the book and it was, my dad passed away. Um, and before he did, she wrote to these campers, these former campers who were still in touch with us and said, hey, you know, Alex isn't doing well, but if you have any memories that you'd like to share with him, we'd love to share them. So the memories just kept came flooding in all of these stories about the success lessons that they'd learned about how the camp had impacted them. And then afterward, um, for summers, for, for more than one summer afterward, she, I remember seeing her, she sat at her computer and she wrote, she remembered, she typed up everything that we had done because she was determined to share what we'd learned. And that's really what the impetus was. It was this desire to share what had apparently been so successful. Yeah. And I'm so glad that she did. It's it's a really inspiring book, I think. Um, so who would, I mean, you kind of talked about this with your subtitle, but who would you say the book is for? It's really interesting because, um, well, first of all, we focus on boys. Does this work for girls? Yes, it does. But our experience was with boys. And so this was really, the book is really focused on boys, but the the principles of the formula also work for girls. Actually, it works for adults too. It, it, it works for everybody because it is about success, a success mindset. And um, the formula is about embedding that success mindset in, in your mind. And this is, this works for all ages. I mean, you know, we've read the research that says when kids are young, their, their brains are growing and this is the best time to imprint upon them. That's true. It's absolutely true. And so the younger you start, the easier it is, but here's the amazing thing. What we realized is that as boys, in this case, as they become older even shorter interactions can have a profound effect on them. And the type of interaction you have with them can be extraordinarily impactful, even when it's um, not as long a period. You know, you, you think about when you're raising kids, you think about, well, yeah, it's a lot easier when you have them when they're little, because then you can influence them for a longer period of time. But we found that if with the right type of intervention, a very short period of time can it can actually make the difference. So it really depends on your mindset, on what it is. If you know what you are trying to impart, then it works. But you want to be mindful about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I was also thinking about when you were saying that, I was thinking about like there's, you know, kids, if you have an infant and you decide to use your a few days with them to work on teaching them the alphabet, you're not going to have very much success. You have to wait until they are developmentally ready for learning that material. So there are things that it it is much more impactful or can be very impactful later and even more impactful sometimes later than younger. Yeah. 
you know what's interesting about this is that this is not a this is not a thing that you learn for kids it's not a thing that the kids learn this is a belief that they start to form about themselves and that is picked up from the very earliest age i was i was really surprised let's say when um well first let me back up and say that when i was parenting i obviously should have known all of these things <laughs> i mean i was a product of the formula i grew up at the camp in the summers and everything else but the truth is i didn't have it written down in black and white the way it is in this book i didn't have this step-by-step -step roadmap it wasn't super clear and so i wasn't as mindful I was I was just not mindful. I was chasing all these other things that were not as important as as what we teach in the formula. And then but now knowing what I know, it was amazing to see my little grandson who's now four and a half to realize how early the impact starts, how the impact starts at when they're babies, how what you say and how you interact with them starts to imprint upon them who they are mm -hmm. and starts to create that mindset and that you can you can influence you can make a big difference in that mindset if you just know what you're doing mm -hmm. starting from the earliest age so so what is the what is the story behind the title because I, I I love this Okay, so well, at the camp, we were on a lake. And uh, it's not a really big lake, but it is it's when you're out in the middle of the lake, it seems really big. And we had a lot of boats, a lot of different kinds of boats, fishing boats, sailboats, everything else, canoes. And um, for a boy to be able to go out in a boat by himself, this is a big deal, you know, mm -hmm. you have to be able to swim across the lake because then he knew and we knew that he could get to shore. So if your boat tips over, something happens, you can make it to shore. And so they would have to swim uh, from our side of the lake all the way over to a dock way on the other side of the lake and they could float, they could dog paddle, it didn't matter, but they had to be able to get over to the other side on their own power before they could take out a boat. And that's where it comes from, because what, what we're saying is that that's sort of a metaphor for life. Before you, you know, know what you're doing, make sure that you have the the um, the basis, the mindset, the understanding, the skill, whatever, before you try the thing. It's it's Stephen Covey's seventh uh, habit of highly effective people, which is sharpen the saw before you start sawing the wood. Um, but, yeah, that's what it is. It's swim the lake before you row the boat. And also it's like that confidence, like they know that they have the confidence to be yes. before beginning. So yeah. It's um, that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, I know like from my experience, one of those, one of the biggest things that I always found making a huge difference with kids and, and their trajectory was how much confidence they had in themselves. If they felt like I can do this, I've got this. They did so much better than the kids with the same level of skill Yes. That were just full of self negative talk. So it was always my biggest focus always had to be the confidence if I wanted to see them succeed. 
It, you're absolutely right. And that is the point. That's that's the sort of the cornerstone of a success mindset. How do you impart that? Once they know they can do it, once they believe they can do it. And in fact, one of the um, cornerstones of the program at the camp and one of the cornerstones of the Flying Eagle formula is instilling that confidence in them that no matter what they try, they can be successful, that they have the ability to try new things, to, you know, to persevere, to learn something. And when you have that kind of unshakable confidence, as you're saying, when you have that confidence in yourself, you're willing to try new things. You're willing to move forward. You're willing even to keep going when, you know, the first attempt doesn't go so well. So yeah, absolutely. You were right. Yeah. Okay. So tell us more about the Flying Eagle formula. What is it? What does it entail? Uh, well, the formula is uh, the 10 things that we uncovered as we went back and we looked through the program. These were sort of the 10 ingredients, 10 steps, whatever you want to call it, of factors that helped create the success mindset. And in the book, we, we have a chapter for each one. We explain what we did at the camp. Not that everybody is going to have a camp or even, you know, even replicate what we did at the camp, but it's an example of how we imparted that aspect of the formula to the kids and why that builds the confidence that you were talking about, why that builds the success mindset. How does that impact what they think about themselves? And so there are these 10 different um, aspects to it. And each one of those is something that we can do at home. Each one of those is, a, you know, and there are some suggestions of ways that you can deliver that message, deliver the message to them at home uh, in different settings, you know, no matter, no matter where you are. And it's, it's interesting because none of it costs money to do. It's really about where you look for opportunity. And if you're, if you're keyed in, if you're mentally keyed into what it is you're trying to do and why, then you find the opportunities. So that's what the formula is. Okay. So what are some of the what are some of those pieces? But well, one of them is, for example, one that comes to mind is structure and routine. Now I know that in a lot of parenting books, we're told that structure is helpful. And I know in particular in special ed for kids who lack executive functioning, you know, structure is very, very important structure and routine. What we focus on, and we talk about the type of structure we had and how it worked at the camp. But from our perspective, the reason that it is helpful is not that it keeps them on track and not that it helps them achieve things because they're staying on track and they're getting things done. It's because when you have structure and a routine, the boys started believing that they had command of a situation. They started believing that they knew they knew what was going to come next and they had the confidence to know what was going to come next and to know that they could handle it because they had in mind, they already knew what was expected of them. What did they need to do? And the reason that we think structure and routine is so important is because it instills that sense of confidence in them. 
and mastery and that they can handle it. And not every situation that they go into after that is going to have structure and routine, right? But once they have built that belief about themselves within themselves, then they have the belief that they can handle things. And that's what gets them through those situations that don't have, you know, a built-in structure and routine as, you know, as they go through life. But once they start believing that about themselves, that's how it makes a big difference. And another one um, was, is about visiting new places. And visiting new places is always interesting and it's fun and it keeps kids engaged and maybe it, it, you know, gives them new knowledge. And of course, that's always important, especially when kids are young, we want them to absorb new knowledge. But the reason we focused on it and, and what we believed it does to their mind is that it opens their mind to new to the to new ways that things are done or new ideas, which is a key to creativity. And what we're focusing on here is you want creative problem solvers. You want people who think outside of the box and you think outside of the box when you're exposed to a lot of different things. And so the reason our focus on having these different activities or different trips, seeing new things, seeing how people do different things is to open that creative portal in their mind so that when problems present themselves, their mind already has permission to think of different ways of doing things. So it's not as though they go, um, let's say they go to a car factory and they see how cars are being built, which back when I was young, you could do that. I'm not sure you can even do that anymore, but um, you, you could see how, you know, cars were being built. It's not that later they're going to a situation where the idea of how a car is built is going to apply directly to whatever problem they're trying to solve. And so, oh, I remember I saw that and I could do this, although that could happen. But the experience of seeing how cars are being built, let's say, and then seeing other different types of things tells our mind that it's okay to think of new and unique, new to us and unique ways of doing things. And when, you're, when your mind is open to being receptive to new and unique ways of doing things, your imagination can come up with those ways. You open a portal, you make it possible. And that and creative problem solving obviously helps you in the workplace, it helps you at home, helps you wherever you are, helps you in school. So we're just giving the brain permission to be open to new ways of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I was thinking about how in my mind, it's like all going to all of those new places or seeing new ways of doing things. It's all just adding to that knowledge base that then your mind can combine and get creative with that information, use it in different ways. Um, yeah. And that's, that's an aspect of visiting new places that I hadn't been thinking about. I've read the book, but it's been a long time. So I definitely have to go back through it. Um, but I wanted to highlight a couple of pieces of the book that 
I loved, um, especially like thinking about my, my students and this audience. One of the quotes in the book that I highlighted is, if a camper seemed to be falling short of earning awards, we would think about his strengths and a plan of action was hatched to help him find new areas to conquer. And I just love this so much, this idea of, it, and well, let me go on. I can't stress enough how important it, it was to us that every boy experienced success. It wasn't handed to them. They had to earn it but we offered opportunities tailored to their individual strengths and abilities. And that's just so incredible. And, and I love that this was part of the camp and is in the book because it's, it's so important and it's so rarely seen in mm -hmm. schools or anywhere right now. It's everybody has to follow the same, the same guidelines for how you're achieving something and if you don't have those particular strengths, then you are left to feel like you're no good. Right. And that's where I see all these kids year after year. I was always dealing with the, the low self-confidence kids because they had amazing strengths, but no one was spending any time focusing on their strengths. They had to spend all of their time working on the things they were struggling with. So they just felt like they were nothing but a pile of struggles like they just didn't think they were worth anything right. and it's so and it wasn't benefiting them you know working on their struggles didn't help them overcome their struggles because it just made them lose confidence and yeah. it wasn't until we could bring in strengths and build confidence that then they could overcome their struggles so I just I love I love that part of the quotes of that book so much that quote was just I think so impactful yeah, and you know, the entire camp program, the, the foundation of the camp program was if you experience success and success is celebrated, you internalize the idea that I am a successful person. I can try new things and be good at it. I'm able to do this. Once you realize that that is what you are trying to embed, that is the mindset that you want your child to incorporate, that's what you want them to believe about yourself, then everything you approach maybe has a different focus. You don't want to set them up for failure. You don't want to send them into situations of failure until they have until they've had opportunities, as you say, to be successful. And, you know, school can be tough for kids with, with learning disabilities, with special needs. It's very tough because they don't, it, you know, square pegs in a round hole or something, and there's not a lot of opportunity of, you know, for feeling successful. It's real important as parents that we recognize that having these feelings of success and competence is critical to helping them go out into the world where the world is not doesn't want to give them that message and that you know we can do that we can give them those feelings i i think i told the story of the cabbage of the kid uh, I, I saw this child in the supermarket um maybe about two years old maybe not even two years old sitting in the basket and shopping and the parents 
uh, gave this child an important job to do. And the important job to do was they got a cabbage out of the vegetable aisle and gave it to the child to hold. And that was the important job was to hold the cabbage in the shopping trip. And you could tell that this little kid felt proud that they were, they had this important job to do. So it starts very young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, related to that, it mm. was another quote about success. Um, by helping children experience success, we help them create a mental pattern of success, which I think is a lot of what you're saying is that yeah. you're you're setting that framework that I am a successful person. I might be struggling with this, but I am a successful person. I know what success looks like. I know what success feels like. I know that I, that is who I am as a person. And that I'll tell you something really, really interesting. What is so fascinating to me is that um, in the first years of the camp, its first year was like 1957. That was the first year. So you're talking about people who, men who went to camp in the early years. How old are they now? 50, 60, 70 years old? I mean, no, they're older than that. Well, they're they're older, right? Do you know, I have heard so many stories, so many stories that they still have the the awards that they earned as boys and they still have them and they still keep them. They know where they are. Some people still have them displayed in their home on a shelf. I actually have my special swim award that I got when I was seven and it's on a shelf. It's on a bookcase shelf. Those things are meaningful. They remind you that you did it. You can do it. It just shows you how important that message really is. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, to, to, to counter it, but not in a countering way. Mm -hmm. So like I, in elementary school, got tons and tons and tons of awards and they meant nothing mm -hmm. because I never felt like I did anything special to earn them. They were just handed to me. There was right. no, and I think part of it, which I think I've never really thought of this through. And this is like, right now I'm thinking this through. Is I, I didn't have a framework for how I would earn the award. It was just every month the teachers needed to give awards to kids for the award ceremony. And I was always a good kid. I always did all my work. I was, you know, high achieving and all the things. So I got lots of awards, but there was no framework. Like if after you've done these things, you earn the award, there was no path to, to follow on how to get it. Whereas in like in scouts, you earn a badge because you've done all the things to earn that badge. And right. you know ahead of time what you have to do to earn it. Right. And mm -hmm. it, has, and it has a very different meaning. It does. And, and and I think it was part of the quote that you read before. They had to earn it. Things weren't given to them. Right. And they did know what they needed to do in order to earn these different awards. Um, yeah. the, the special swim award, for example, the little trophy that I have. Now, there were, um, we had a reunion 
mid-year, which would be in the wintertime. So it's not during, and, and so kids would come, kids and families would come to the reunion. And at those reunions, certain campers were singled out for um, their their positive attitude, for the accomplishments they, they made, um, and they would get, you know, the something of the year trophy or the special swim award trophy. I got it because I was one of the youngest campers ever to swim the lake. But there was a reason why you got it. There was something special about it. And the kids knew that this was a sort of a special honor that you could earn. So it wasn't just handed out. It was, it, there was, there was something special to it, but every, as you mentioned in the quote, every kid had the opportunity to be successful and to be recognized if they, if they did the work. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really critical piece is that we're not just recognizing because because we know that being recognized and feeling successful is important we can't jump to here's an award you're successful the kid has they know they haven't earned it and then they feel like oh well you don't even think I could do this so they they actually can lose confidence if you're just handing out awards and they also like I was like in my experience, they were handing me too many. They lost any meaning. I didn't mm -hmm. care about any of the awards because I got them so yeah. often. And um, um, one of the important parts of the mindset that we're, that we're helping them to develop is I can succeed at what I try at. So it's, I can try this and I can succeed. And so obviously there's some effort in there. There's some there's some mental determination to do a thing it didn't just you didn't just have something shower down upon you as you're saying you got awards every month but yeah yeah um all right one last quote and then we'll switch gears to start with the end in mind means mm. to be able to describe what the end looks like with all of its important details and this just feels so different than what I know a lot of us get stuck in, in the day-to-day -day of just making it through the day, just things happening at a whim, like, oh, my kid wants to do this now, so we're going to go do this, and and not taking the time to at least occasionally be very strategic and thoughtful and thinking through that that end result that we're looking for. Yeah, you know, this is really critical. Um, I didn't do this when I was parenting. So, uh, but the, we we walk people through a process of, of how you do this. It's vision and mission. You know, what what is it that, what qualities do you hope that your kids will have when they leave you, when they are adults? What is it that you want them to be able to do? And when you start with those qualities that you believe will help help them make it through the ups and downs of life that they are likely to encounter. What are those things to help them be successful? Then, then what you do has much more meaning because you understand why it is you're doing what you're doing. And it actually will change what you're doing because particularly when you're focused on mindset, when you're starting to think that the focus of everything you do is what are they going to think about themselves from this? which can be very different than what you thought 
you know, it's not what you are trying to do. It's what are they going to think about themselves from this? And when you're thinking of it in that way, then you're then you're on track to meet your vision of the result you want to produce. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't really talked about this, but that's what IEPs are supposed to be for. You know, an IEP is supposed to get you to transition, your, your transition and transition to adulthood. Um, and a lot of times we don't always start with that final end vision. We're, we're going annually year by year, but you want to start with what is that final vision of where you want to get to and how are you going to get there? Yeah, that's a really good point. And even year to year, we have to think through, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, I, I so agree with that. Cause I'm thinking about like, even, even way back at like a kindergarten IEP, we're starting with, okay, where is the child currently at, including all of their strengths as well as struggle? Where are they currently at? And we have to think about, okay, well, where are they supposed to be for their grade level? What, what skills are they supposed to have? What are they going to need in the future? What, what skills do we really want to focus on? And what can we expect a year from now that we can write a goal for that is, is getting them on that right trajectory? And there are times, you know, there's the goals are supposed to be written um, around the state standards, but there are some state standards that are not critical for life that that I look at and I go, okay, but that one can be so easily accommodated with the cell phone in our pocket everywhere now. Like we need the critical thinking skills. You know, like one of the things that I saw a lot is like, um, Teachers would want to like get rid of word problems and have kids only do the solving the the algorithm. And I was like, I would actually rather reverse it because the algorithm already written down, you can just stick it in a calculator, but I want them to think through how to solve a word problem. How would I turn that into the algorithm? What operation is really happening here? Because that's going to happen in life is how do I solve this problem? What is, what is it that's happening? And that, that understanding of math. So I kind of got off on a rant there, but <laughs> um. no, but, but, you know, your point, your point is a good one. One of the, you know, IEPs are designed for educational process, progress, educational progress, educational in terms of getting through K-12 yeah. progress, not life progress. And so in order to make that IEP actually work for life, we have to keep that in mind. You know, we always have to be thinking, as you're saying, you know, what are the life skills? What, what is the vision? Where do we want this to end up? Where do we want this child to be at the end when education is done and yet you parent are still there, the child's still there and you're still working with them through life? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was a great segue. As a special ed expert, I'll just frame it that way. What tips can you give parents dealing with IEPs? Well, um, I have a number of tips. I don't know if they're all IEP specific, but if you have an IEP um, and in the realm of people that you probably see, it can be an IEP, things aren't going well. That would be the types of people that, you know, that that we saw in the 
parent training and information center who needed training, who were, who were worried about training, who had difficulties shepherding their child through the system. And I have an, I just have a number of tips. I'm just going to share them with you. You know, things that I learned, some wisdom that I picked up along the way. Um, one of them is if you're in that situation and there are problems, um, first of all, you have to, I don't know how to say this, you have to make sure that you aren't the problem. You as the parent aren't the problem. And the way you, you think about that is you want to ask yourself, okay, has this happened to me in the past? Have I had a lot of situations where people just don't understand me, where um, where things just aren't going right and, and I'm not being listened to and and uh, you know, and my rights aren't being aren't being um, respected. If this is a pattern in your life, it's likely that you are bringing part of the problem to the table. And why is that important? Because it'll just continue to be a struggle until you figure that part out. You know, until you take your own issues out of it, because it's it's quite possible that some of the problems are that that a school district you could have personnel in a school district who really want to do um, helpful things for your child they may not have the money they may not really have the program and so if you are insisting on something they can't really provide it's cutting off the options for things that they can provide because you'll you'll get into a situation where where people are just fighting with each other and you, and you don't need that you just really don't need that if you're trying to problem solve. So that's one thing you want to you want to look at yourself and and make sure that you aren't bringing problems to the table. Um, the other thing is is to analyze the situation that you're facing and ask: Do you have a bully on the other side? Is the special ed director is whoever you're dealing with is this a bully? And sometimes it really is. Sometimes it is a bully, and. Um, if you are a, if this is a man, if it's a man on the other side who is kind of a bully, my advice is number one, you should always take someone with you to every IEP. And that, that's across the board. You should always bring some support with you. And, and let me back up even before I get to that. If you are having a difficulty, a difficult situation, you wanna make sure everything is always in writing. You want to make sure everything always has a date on it. You want to get a copy of the paper with the date and a date stamp on it of when the, it was received by the school or by the district. You want to have that for your records. So first, get things in writing. Second, um, get a date stamp, copy. Third, make sure someone goes with you to every IEP to take notes for you. But fourth, if you have a bully and the bully on the other side of the table is a man, take a man to the IEP. Now, it's great if you're married and you've got a husband who can come to the IEP. That's great. The kid's father. That's great. If you don't have that, take any man. <laughs> Just take a male figure to the IEP. And the reason is this. And I've seen this so many times, so I'm not just making this up. The reason is um, that male bully across the table, they, you know, men like to size each other up. They, it's just the thing they do. They size each other up. And when there's an unknown male figure on the other side of the table, 
they never know when that unknown male is going to get mad and leap across the table and grab them by the throat. It's, I think it's a primal thing that goes on, but I'll tell you what, with anyone in the room, anyone in addition in the room, it really calms the atmosphere down and makes the atmosphere much more civil. And when you have a male bully on the other side, bringing another male into the atmosphere really calms things down. And, and that makes it much easier. Let's say you are at the point of things just aren't going well. And you're at the point where you think you've, you're, it's time to fight. And of course, you can file uh, a complaint with OCR, with Office of Civil Rights. You can file a complaint. You can file a, a, um, uh, you know, a complaint, an administrative complaint about special ed. And you can go that route. Um, do you need a lawyer to do that? You know, you likely do. Is it expensive to do that? Yes, it is. Will you get results? Maybe not, even if you win. And I can tell you that I, as an attorney, you know, my own son had some struggles in school. Brilliant kid, but, you know, executive functioning wasn't always there. And, and he was, I was getting nowhere, just absolutely nowhere with the school. And I was a very involved parent. So you would, I thought that I would be able to work with the school, make reasonable, you know, accommodations or something. And it just wasn't happening at all. I finally, and you know, I didn't want to make people mad. I didn't, I just really didn't. But I finally filed the complaint, went through negotiations, entered into a settlement. Guess what? Nothing happened. It just didn't happen. And meanwhile, what happens is that your child is continuing to suffer through the system. And the biggest suffering is what it does to their mental feeling about themselves. Just as you were saying, they're unsuccessful. Things aren't going well. And they start to incorporate, you know, that type of feeling within them. That's probably the biggest damage of everything. You know, you, you can pick up education down the road, but what you believe about yourself is critical. And so my, um, as hard as it is to say, if you're really in a really difficult situation, move, if you can move your child, move your house. If you are absolutely able, why might you consider doing this? I can tell you that I pulled, I ended up pulling my son out of school and with a very helpful principal who agreed that he could get high school credit for college. I enrolled him in a college in Vermont. It was, I don't remember what I paid. It was something like $20,000. So it's expensive. It's not counting what I went through to do that whole other process. And I've seen this happen with other families. It's not just me. I've watched this and, and been able to analyze the cases from the inside, from a legal point of view. It's going to be expensive either way. And the, but like, as I said, the damage to your child is probably the worst, the worst fallout. And so moving sometimes is the best option. I don't know if those were the tips you, you wanted that was, to hear. No, that was, that was so perfect. Um, and, you know, and, and let me say something else. There's, 
you know, and you and I haven't really talked about this before, but having an advocate, which is what you do, having a trained advocate, someone who understands special ed, number one, if you suspect that you might be, that you are getting too upset with the process, having someone else in there advocating for you can take you out of the picture and can calm things down. That's one. And you can get better results. That's one. But it's a lot less expensive to have an advocate try to get results for you before you're faced with a situation of either fighting with a lawsuit or moving. And so, um, you know, when I was um, the director of our PTI here in Michigan, I had, uh, you know, one of the things that I, one of the conclusions I came to is that it would be very helpful to have a law firm that did nothing but represent parents in school districts that had difficult situations in order to try to turn that around, to have lawyers and advocates that would represent parents. Because really, that's the only way you start turning around the ship is when is when districts that don't want to participate or, or be helpful um, are forced to. So advocates are critical to, to having, to transforming the system. So anyway, I, I applaud you for what you do because uh, it's, it's very critical to the success of not only the system, but obviously for the kids that you help. Yeah. Well, and I like, I, I love what you're saying there. Cause I, I agree that your individual child in the moment is what matters. Like you don't have the time, your child doesn't have the time to fight for years and years to finally get a settlement. They're suffering along the way. But at the same time, we do want the ship to change. We don't want all of the other kids whose parents maybe are too busy to notice how badly the school system is failing them or too trusting and just like, oh, I don't know. There, you know, I see that happen and I I don't want those kids to suffer. But if you're noticing and your kid is suffering, yeah, it makes sense in the moment if that's a resource to move. Sometimes you can just change schools. Sometimes you can change districts without moving your house. And sometimes you move your house. I mean, it just, you got to do the research and that's, it's so unfortunate. But then at the same time, if you can get a coalition of parents together, you can get advocates and lawyers involved, then the district has to deal with it and start making bigger changes, yeah. Yeah. Um, going to school board meetings. And, you know, even if you've moved, if you can are still close enough to keep going back to that school board meeting and fighting for the kids that got left behind, like it's, there are some major changes that need to happen still. It's yeah. frustrating how slow the progress is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the more the more that people demand and and share that information, I I think things are slowly shifting in different places, but it's slower than I would like. Um, and yeah, sometimes sometimes you got to move or do something. You you got to do what is best for your kid in that moment. There is no there is no waiting to see how things work out. No, because the damage is so great. And you know, can I I want to say something about districts that don't have the money, don't have the resources, and yet have a heart. Yeah. And truly care. Because um, 
there was a, a time when I, I did a survey of parents and I asked, um, which would you rather have? A district with no resources that can't offer, you know, the special this, the special that, uh, but you have, but they believe, they love and believe in your child's ability, whatever, you know, and, and are willing to try to move them forward with what they have. Or a district that has all the bells and whistles, but and but also believes that they know about these children. And to a person, everyone chose a district without the resources, but personnel who love and care about their kids and, and believe in their potential. Yeah. Because again, that's the most important thing. What do they believe about themselves? Yeah. That's what's going to carry them through life. And that's one of the things that I think sometimes parents get in that mindset of they've heard all these horror stories. They go into their first IEP meeting, assuming that the district is against them, that it's a fight already. And I always want people to start with the assumption that everyone at the, at the school chose to be in that profession because they care about kids, because they want to see kids succeed. They chose to be in special ed because they care about kids with learning differences and whatever, whatever it is, they want to help your kid. So starting with that assumption, I feel like is more productive because you're not starting with everyone on edge and, and ready to fight and everyone can have a more, like you're talking about before, having that calm beginning can be a lot more productive. Um, yeah, absolutely. And assuming that if they're making a mistake, they don't know it's a mistake. You know, there's, that's one thing that I point out all the time is yes. Like I've been talking about it a lot recently is districts tend to be really bad at writing IEPs, but it's not because they know, like, they just don't know that they're bad at it. So they just don't know that they need better training and more training and how to be better. They're, they're seeing bad models. So they're copying bad models and they're, they're just, you know, in a bubble and, but you can you can inform them of their mistakes without it being aggressive and and you can still keep that relationship and 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 be productive without that but so i agree like yes a lot of schools you know they care they want to do what's best you can assume that you're in that school until you then realize oh no actually i'm in the bully district and right. most of the time it's not the whole district it's the one bully has too much power Right. That's true. And sometimes you can get that person ousted and then everything gets better, but it can. And, you know, I, it's something that's really important about what you were explaining is that one thing that I think parents need to realize before they go into an IEP is that it's going to be incredibly emotional. Um, it'll be an emotional experience. And it is very helpful. That's why you should always take someone else with you because they will be calm and, and they won't be as emotionally invested. They'll be able to take notes or whatever. But that's also why an advocate is important because sometimes you need someone to speak for you who can be calm, who isn't reactive, who can take a broader view of what's going on and then come back and you can you can compare notes, you can strategize afterward. But at least when you are when you're dealing with the school district, it's in a collaborative way 
until you realize that isn't going to work anymore. But to start out that way, it's important. And an IEP is inherently difficult to go through for a parent. And having someone there with you can make all the difference. I mean, I remember when I when I had my, uh, it wasn't an IEP. It was um, when my son first, when we first went into uh, a class and they decided that he needed to uh, be at a higher grade level. I had him at his age group. He needed to be at a higher grade level. I go in, I sit down at the table and eight people from the school in the district are sitting across the table from me. Eight people telling me I'm wrong. Well, that's what that's what an IEP is like. Yeah. You yeah. need to have support. Yes. Yeah. I always tell people the same thing. You have to have someone with you. Take someone with you. I don't care who they are. They don't have to know anything. They don't have to say anything. They don't even have to take notes. They can just be there writing nonsense on a piece of paper. As long as you know that you have brought someone and you feel that energetic support and the district also is seeing that you have support and you, they don't always know who that person is. Maybe they think they're an advocate, you know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it has been lovely having you on, Deb. I always love our conversations, like I said, and I'm so happy to share you with a little bit more of the world. Um, I definitely want people to grab your book, which is on Amazon. I'll have a link for that. And how else can they get a hold of you and see what's going on with you? You know, um, the camp actually has a website campflyingeagle.com and they can go to campflyingeagle.com they can read a little bit about the the flying eagle formula um they can read a little bit about my parents journey and what you know what motivated them to do this they can also see they can see actual memories from campers it's it's really a website campers that campers still and counselors still contribute to so campflyingeagle.com love it love it all right. Thank you so much, Deb. Thank you. This has been a real pleasure. I appreciate it. I appreciate it.